Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points us to Jesus, who he is and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you so much for joining me. Friends, we are going to close out our examination today of the book of Galatians by looking at the ethical freedom that's based on grace. Now, if you have not listened to our last couple episodes, I'd encourage you to go back and take a listen, particularly to our last episode, as we explored the fact that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and not through works, not through law-keeping. We talked about how those who have trusted in Christ have been given freedom. So our topic for today asks the question, what do we do with that freedom? Now remember, the people that Paul is writing to are almost entirely Gentiles. And Paul has made very clear, and they understand, that they can no longer go back to living as they once had as pagans, practicing sexual immorality, worshiping idols. They know that that's off the table. And now they understand that they're not supposed to follow the Jewish law. So how are they supposed to determine right from wrong? Well, to answer this question of how one is is to determine right from wrong, Paul introduces the topic of freedom in Christ. Now, for 2,000 years, people have misunderstood this topic. And they think, often it's taught, that freedom in Christ means you can do whatever you want and God has to forgive you. One person even went so far as to say, God has to forgive, that's his job. And Paul says, if, if you believe that's what freedom in Christ means, that it's just a get-out-of-jail-free card for you to indulge all of your sinful impulses, you do not understand freedom in Christ. Paul says freedom in Christ doesn't result in Christians living in sin. Galatians 4, 8-9, through 9, he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God. So you were enslaved to the world. You were enslaved to your sinful passions. He says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Paul says, you were enslaved. You weren't free before you were a Christian. You were a slave. You were a slave to sinful impulses that were leading you to hell. And Christ, through his own blood, broke the shackles off your wrist. So when we turn and through a terrible misunderstanding of freedom in Christ, and we begin to live according to our old sinful nature, we are putting the shackles back on our wrist. No, Paul says freedom in Christ does not mean living in sin. Freedom in Christ obligated Christians to serve one another. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't be that person who says, I can do whatever I want. God has to forgive me. But through love, serve one another. So Paul says that freedom, true freedom for the Christian, will express itself in serving through love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I'm recording this in America, and many of the people who listen to this podcast are Americans. Many who listen to this podcast aren't Americans. But I would be willing to bet that for most people listening, the idea of freedom and obligation to serve sound fairly counterintuitive, as if you could have one but not the other. But Paul understands through the power of the Holy Spirit that as Christians, as humans, we were made to serve. We were made to serve God and we were made to serve one another in love. And so Paul's calling on us to, through love, serve one another is not a form of dehumanizing servitude. It is us being the humans that God created us to be. Now, all of this has to happen through love. 
You have to love God and you have to love your neighbor, which raises up another question. Where does love come from? True biblical love, self-giving, self-sacrificing, loving those not just who look like you or are nice to you, but loving those who are even your enemies comes only as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. So this is not something that can come from the law. It's not something that can come through human effort. Having said that, I want to make sure that we're clear about something. And I get this from uh, the British writer C.S. Lewis, and I'm going to paraphrase what he said. But I think his point is a good one here. I do want to be clear that Scripture says love ultimately comes from the Spirit. But do not fall into the mistake of hearing the command to love your neighbor, looking inside yourself, not feeling any sort of mushy-gushy feelings, and saying, all right, well, you know, I don't want to be fake, so I'm just going to not love this person because I don't feel that. And when God wants to give me that love, then, you know, that's when I'll love them. And C.S. Lewis said, if you do that, you'll never love anybody. And he said, what you have to do when there's someone in your life that you've been called to love, whether it's a brother and sister in Christ or a family member or a neighbor, do the things that you would do if you love them. Pray for them. Serve them. Seek their good and not yours. Speak well of them. Smile at them. Forgive them. And as you do these things, love, the feeling of love, will be given to you. You will be empowered to do the verbs, to do the loving and the serving and the forgiving and the speaking well of. You'll be empowered to do that by the Holy Spirit. And as you do the verbs, the feeling also a gift from the Holy Spirit, will come. So that's where love comes from. It's ultimately a fruit of the Holy Spirit and not from law. So why do you need the Spirit? Unbelievers don't have the Spirit. Am I saying that unbelievers can't love like this? Yes. Unbelievers can do an impression. They're made in the image of God too. Unbelievers can love their spouses, their children, their family members, their neighbors. Unbelievers can love people who are nice to them. And unbelievers might even for a time be able to forgive through gritted teeth or overlook an offense from their enemies, but non-believers cannot sustain this type of love, this type of self-giving, others-focused, enemy love for three really good reasons. One, they lack the Spirit. If the fruit of the Spirit is love, and if you're not a believer, you don't have the Spirit, then you can't love like this. Two, they're dominated by the sinful nature. Everyone who is not dominated by the Spirit is dominated by the sinful nature. That's what you and I were once dominated by before we became followers of Jesus. But now we belong to Him and we have a new master. But for the unbeliever, they're dominated by their sinful nature. And the sinful nature does not want to love people who don't benefit us. We want to only love people who can scratch our backs back. The third reason unbelievers can't love like this is because they receive no help from the law. Their relationships are often characterized by wickedness. Or as Paul puts in Galatians 5, 17-21, The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says the law not only can't save, it can't sanctify. Now remember, when the Bible uses the word sanctify, it can use it in one of two ways, primarily. The first way would be the most common way, and it means that sanctification is a process by which a believer 
is made more like Jesus in character and affections. This happens throughout the life of a Christian until we see Jesus face to face. The other way we can use the term sanctify is to define what happens at the moment of salvation. To sanctify something means to set it apart for a special purpose. So the moment you and I became Christians, we were sanctified, we were set apart for God's service. It's that first meaning that's in view here. The law can't save you and it can't make you more like Jesus. Now, having said that, here's another purpose of the law. The law is the train tracks that our obedience is to run on. The Spirit provides the power of love in our hearts. And that's the fuel that we need. Love for God, love for others gives us the fuel. But think about a train. If you have a train with a raging fire, but no tracks, where is it going to go? Nowhere but in a ditch. And this is what happens to well-intentioned believers who want to throw away the law and they want to just go love God and love people, but they make a hash out of it because they don't have the law. They don't have the tracks. And conversely, imagine a train sitting on an immaculate, beautiful, straight, strong, well-built track and no fire. Where are they going? Nowhere. We have to have the law and the spirit, but the law by itself cannot save and cannot sanctify. For believers, we're not under the law. We love the law. We're grateful for the law. We want to live on the tracks of the law, but we're ultimately led and empowered and fueled and driven by the spirit. If you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Believers also crucified the sinful nature. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When Christ died, our sinful flesh died with him. And when Christ walked out of the grave, it stayed in the ground. And we no longer have to listen to our sinful nature. And believers now live by the Spirit. We live empowered by the Spirit. We live directed and guided by the Spirit. And if we live by the Spirit, Paul says, let's keep in step with the Spirit. What's it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? Live like Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So friends, I wish I could tell you that on you know page 1092 of your Bible, there's a secret code that tells you how to make every single decision that you're ever going to face in your life. But that's not what God does. He gives us His Spirit, and He gives us this template of Jesus' life and says, I want you to love your neighbor, and I want you to love me, with all of your heart, and I want you to be full of these things, to be full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And God knows that if we live this way, we are truly living out the ethical freedom that Christ purchased for us. And we will draw people to our Savior because, friends, we live in a world that's hurting and desperate and is seeking frantically for some kind of hope, some kind of anchor in this storm-tossed world. And we as Christians have it. So let's live in step with the Spirit. Let's be the light that draws people to our Savior. Friends, the next time we come together, we're going to begin an examination of 1 Peter. But for now, take them and read, my friends. God bless.